Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tifanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. We're at the end of our fangirl journey, and I don't know what to do. It's too good. This book has been so good. I'm sad to leave it. Yeah, it's kind of taken me by surprise how quickly we've finished it. It doesn't feel like there was a lot of build-up <laughs> towards the end, and now it's over. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like that at the end of every book. We get to the end, and we're like, how can it possibly be the end yet? Yeah, we're not ready. My life is now set in 10-week increments because <laughs> of our podcast, which I really love. It's nice to have routines, I think. Yeah. Did you have a moment of wonder this week? So there was a really interesting article in The Guardian, and I will link it. But they found some old poetry. It's now the oldest known source of stressed or metered poetry. And stressed or metered poetry is like the precursor to modern poetry and song. And in the article, they describe it as being like the equivalent of a quote t-shirt because everybody had (laughs) it on like pendants and people like graffitied it places. Like it was a really popular saying. And translated, I just really love the poem. So I thought I would read it out because it's such a cool thing. Oh, please. Yes. Okay. They say what they like. Let them say it. I don't care. Go on. Love me. It does you good. Oh, that's so wholesome. Isn't it great? It's sort of like a, you know, haters gonna hate sticking it yeah. to the man, but also like, you know you want this kind of thing. I don't know. It's really, it's Lean really into cool. it. There was so much about it that made me happy in the thought that we now have an even older example of when this type of storytelling and poetry came into being. I was just like, this is the origin of modern day Rolling Stones music or something. Like, this is really where it comes from. People were doing this and this is how it evolved. And I just love that we have this tiny little window into what it was like to be some rando hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That is so cool. Thank you for sharing it. I completely missed it and I just love it. It's That's an, great. It's an awesome article. I will send you the article and I'll put it in the show notes too because it's really good. Cool. So how about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? Mine's lame in comparison but... <laughs> oh no, I think yours is going to be great. I can tell. You're excited. You look happy. <laughs> we went to level two this week so everyone outside of Auckland basically got to go down the alert level so that meant that we are allowed out into the public Woo-hoo. and places are open which meant that I could go to the gym on Wednesday. Yes. And so I've been running. So I've run every day since then because I prefer to run indoors because Wellington is a nightmare. So I like to run on the treadmill. Um, Yeah, so I've had to run Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and this morning, Saturday. So yeah, four days of running and it just feels really good. And it's just nice to be able to do it and be able to go outside, even though that's the only place I've been other than my house. But it's fine. It still counts. You're outside doing something and you're not running in the weather because you guys have had a really atrocious weather this week, haven't you? Yeah, it's just been real windy and stormy. Like yesterday, we had 140k gusts and just loads of rain. And so you just don't want to go outside. It's just not fun. And you can't even go for a walk when it's that windy because I like to walk listening to music and you can't hear your music over your headphones. Like it's too loud. And I don't like walking into the wind and it like steals your breath and you can't breathe properly and you're like trying to walk, but you're not moving. Like all of that fun stuff happens here and I'm not here for it. I hate the wind. It's a bad place to live if you hate the wind, but here I am. I love that you live in Wellington and you hate the wind and you don't love earthquakes, but it is your city and you are staying put. Like, I love this about you so much. It's it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I always, I choose Wellington despite absolutely everything conspiring against me. I'm like, no, this is the choice I have made. 
I honestly think that I would have moved anywhere in Australia that Simon was. So at that point, it was him. Sometimes I wonder if I had chosen where to live, not based on a person that I wanted to be with, where I would have picked. Sydney's lovely. Sydney is lovely. The only problem is um, I still don't have teleportation. So getting to you is really I tricky. Know. I wish there was teleportation. Life would be so much easier. Right. Shall we get started? Yes, let's. All right. This week, we're reading chapters 37 and 38 through the theme of fame, and we're wrapping up the books. We're at the end of our fangirl journey with fangirl, not the end of our fangirl journey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jen, do you have a story about fame that you'd like to tell us? I do, and it's mostly just about fame being weird. I think because it's something that happens to you, and it's actually out of your control. So yes, you can achieve something that leads to fame, but the impact of that is entirely up to other people. Like other people decide how they treat you, how they respond to you, whether your fame is noteworthy or not, Mm. or whether your achievement is worthy of fame or not. So you don't stop being a person just because you're famous. And it is actually the most bizarre thing to witness that intersection of public and personal personas and how people switch between them. And, you know, frankly, being around fame makes people act very weirdly and You become so hyper aware of that when you're on the other side of it. So through my career, I have spent a fair bit of time with people who are for all intents and purposes famous. It's the kind of fame where people will stop and stare at you when you're walking through an airport. The kind of fame where, you know, people will approach you randomly if you're just in a shop to talk to you. Um, And that's something that's always affected me, the way people would literally just stop what they're doing and stare at you. Now, I'm not famous. I'm merely trailing behind someone who is famous. And I still felt it. So I can't imagine what it feels like to be the the focal point of that sort of attention. For me personally, it's my idea of hell. But all the interactions I've seen of people having this kind of relationship, they've all been so lovely and so kind and so generous with their time. And I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, and there's like this mass hysteria that comes from fame as well. That stems from that fandom that fame sort of tangentially engenders. So I was thinking about in 2015... I was working at New Zealand Rugby and it was the year that the All Blacks won the Rugby World Cup. So they were the first male team to do it back to back. It was a really big deal. And the team are very popular in New Zealand. And this were, these were players that were particularly popular. Like we're talking about really the greatest of all time. So like the Michael Jordans of... Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. They were like, they were big names, big deal. The whole thing was massive. Um, so they were like, you know, the height of their professional achievement, basically. So when the team came back from England, we organised these homecoming parades for them. And we started in Auckland, then we flew down to Christchurch, and we ended up in Wellington. Um, It was probably the three craziest days I've had in my life, just due to the sheer madness that came with it. There were so many people everywhere we went, and people were just losing their minds. So we would be on this flotilla of trucks normally, and the players would be on the back of them, and you'd be driving down the road. And people would just hand over their babies to these players as they went past like here hold my child and they would try and take photos with them at one point one of the players had a bulldog that was quite famous and someone had brought their dog to the parade and handed him this dog and then tried to run next to the truck to get the dog back so that was a whole thing oh my gosh people would be trying to take photos of kids like kids would be crying throwing rugby balls at them to get signed and then having to chuck them back and then of course it went to the wrong person so you're trying to hand things back to people and Christchurch in particular was terrifying because there wasn't much road control. So with the other parades, there were kind of like barriers along the road. But for Christchurch, there just wasn't. Um, So people were just swarming these trucks that the players were on. 
Um, my job was live streaming the event, so I would be on a truck with some players and I'd hop down, go to another truck, walk along the procession, just sort of capturing the whole thing. And I had jumped off one truck and was trying to get back on another one. And security just manhandled me. They just like reached through, grabbed me by the back of my like polo shirt and just yanked me back. And I was trying to explain to them that this is my job, you know, I'm wearing the polo shirt, I'm part of this thing. And they were like not having it at all because it was chaos. Like yeah. people were all over the show. You didn't know who was part of what. And it was only because the team's head of security saw me and knew me. And he sort of like reached in and grabbed me. So I got back on the truck and he's like, just stay on the truck. Don't get off again. Oh my gosh. Just stay here. So scary. Well, yeah, that was the thing. Like there was just such chaos that I thought I was either going to get arrested or crushed. Like those were my two options in that moment. And then you'd get back to the hotel after all of this. Like you'd have the stage presentation. You'd have people signing photos. It's just like a big deal. And then you get back to the hotel and they're just a bunch of guys who are just guys. And who happen to be really good at kicking a ball around, but they're just <laughs> lads, you know? Like, they're just having a time and you try to have a conversation with them about some random game that they're playing or whatever, or they're just listening to some music and you're like, yeah, I like this album and it's just like normal everyday things. Yeah, I don't really have a conclusion. It's just, it's a weird thing to witness. It's a weird thing to be part of. It's weird to be out for drinks or dinner with a mate, to have someone interrupt you to take a photo or just to chat some really random story about their life. And you just have to sort of drift away because that's your mate's job, right? Yeah. And you don't want to make it weird or draw attention to it. They just need to do what they want to do. And then when it's over, you continue like, that didn't happen. It's weird how people feel like they're entitled to a famous person's time or attention. Like, that's the social contract you enter for being really good at something that you now have to have this interaction. Yeah. It's just very strange. So, yeah, that's my fame story. <laughs> a lot to think about i think it really captures the essence of like the problematic aspects of parasocial relationships is actually they are people and they don't owe you their time but they're very gracious about giving that time away when when they're called to do it like people always talk about famous people being divas or difficult but i just feel like they've probably done this a million times and the one person they're difficult to is just like the straw that broke the camel's back i think yeah I've often been on the other side of this. As you know, I am a fangirl. Mm. And I, as I said in the first episode of this, I was really into like emo music and I saw a lot of bands and I went to a lot of like secret shows where there would be meet and greets and things. And every time I would regret it because you would end up in this weird room and like a band would come in and I'd be like, I don't actually want to meet these people. I have nothing to say to them. I don't know them. I don't want to have a conversation yeah. with them where I'm like, oh, your music means so much to me because everyone has that conversation with them. It yeah. doesn't actually matter. And I just want to like crawl away and die and normally I would just like stand in the back and not even do anything I'm like don't look at me don't talk to me this is weird I've done a weird thing it's so weird because they're just people and you don't know them but you think you do well exactly and it's really hard especially now I think it's really hard for people to draw the line between who the famous person actually is and who the famous person is thought to be because hmm. we have a lot more exposure to famous people in terms of creating that parasocial relationship occasionally they might like your Instagram comment or something and you're like oh senpai noticed me you know like that mm. but it's not it's nothing there, there are hundreds and thousands of people right yeah I'm always so grateful that I'm not famous <laughs> I just don't I don't want to give anybody my time and whenever I see famous people I'm like avoid you live your life <laughs> And I, you know, being in customer service, I have occasionally served people who are known personalities in Sydney. And it's like, oh, this is going to be awkward. Yeah. It's just a strange thing. And I, I always resent it also 
this idea that you have to be a role model because you're famous. Like, oh, you know, when people get really mad because, I don't know, Rihanna swore and she's supposed to be a role model. I'm like, why? She's just a musician. Why does she have to be a role model? Like, why does a football player also have to be a role model? He's just good at kicking a ball. <laughs> well, and, like, let the things that are good about them be the role model, but also acknowledge that they're humans with flaws, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about this a lot. And it got me thinking about cancel culture and how, like, people aren't allowed to grow from their mistakes. People aren't allowed to change. They're sort of stuck in this place where mm. it, they're attacked for doing the wrong thing so much that their instinct is to double down. And that sort of actually led me into thinking about, like, how fame can sometimes trap you into being somebody you maybe don't want to be. Anyway. Yeah, because it's a performance. It's a performance of identity, yeah. right? Like the thing about fame as well is like, let's say you're really good at writing a book mm. or you're really good at, I don't know, playing netball. And so you start when you're 13 and then by the time you're 21, you're on a national team and you're famous. I mean, netball's a bad example because women will never get famous for sport, but you know. <laughs> they might go on the to patriarchy. be like, you know, TV personalities or do panel shows in Britain or something. Like, yeah, but just because you're good at doing that, why does that make you a role model? That's not what you signed up for. You signed up for playing a sport really well, or you signed up for singing really well, or writing really well. You did not sign up to raising other people's children. <laughs> for sure. Uh, we've been having this discussion with my daughter, who really loves a UK pop artist called Anne-Marie. And my daughter doesn't like swear words, but Anne-Marie is British, so of course she swears all the time. Um, so we have her music <laughs> set to where she can't listen to anything that, that's explicit, but I recently let her borrow my iPod to take skating and she can listen to explicit songs on that so we, I, we talked about it and she's 10 and I said look you know most of the bad words and I know that you won't say them like I trust you not to say them but if you don't want to hear them just you know delete that song off the playlist you don't have to listen to it I don't think it's going to make you feel any better to listen to it like I'm kind of giving her that permission now but we had this huge discussion about like what words are bad words and yeah I'm not expecting this pop singer to be a role model for my kid I just expect that my daughter is going to enjoy her art and like how do I do that in a way that my daughter knows she can't imitate that art because she's 10 and famous people aren't raising your kids though raise your own kids it's just weird to me hmm. um yeah so fame weird that is the takeaway from that super weird <laughs> did you have a chapter summary for us I do so in this section, Kath finally begins writing her story. They finish the year the same way it began, with Levi in her dorm room being obnoxiously charming. Kath reads the final Simon Snow book out loud to Levi. Which, quite frankly, she deserves an award for because I would not have been able to wait to read it out loud to yeah, someone. <laughs> I would have been like, okay, sweetheart, here's the audiobook on CD. I'm gonna go read it now. Yeah, I would have read it in one day and then reread it to him. But there's no way that I would have like waited and went through the whole thing. No. Sorry, Levi, I love you. My favorite part of that is that this is probably the first time that she and Ren haven't read it at the same rate. Mm. You know what I mean? This is the first time that they're reading it at different rates because Ren has almost spoiled her several times because Ren's already yeah. read it. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I was this person when the last Harry Potter book came out, though. Like, I didn't read it for a week after I got it. I got it and then I just sat on it because I was like, I can't wow. start it. I can't. I can't. I didn't want it to be over. Oh, I know. I took the day off work and I went to get it. Because the bookstore opened at 6am and that's when I went to get it. And I just read it all day and I was so sad. I found a blog post I wrote about it on my old hard drive the other day and I was Aww. reading about it. And I'm like, oh gosh, I remember feeling this. And I remember clinging to the fact that it's okay. We still have the movies. We still have the movies. It's not It's not over yet. We've still got a couple of years. And then of course, when I went to the midnight premiere of the final film with my friends and it was just like, oh my God, it's over. It's over. This yeah. is it. 
I saw that. I saw the last film, the last Harry Potter film in, in cinemas. And then two weeks later, my daughter was born. Like, Aww. it was like closing a chapter of my life and like moving on to another one. And I didn't really think of it, you know, in that way at the time. But it definitely did feel like that. It really got me that section where they're lining up for the book. I actually got quite emotional yeah. reading it because it reminded me of that, like of the last book coming out. And we didn't have the midnight premieres or any, where like people were standing around for the books because it was so early in the morning in Australia. But you still queued, like you had pre-ordered it. So you went yep. and you queued and everyone was so giddy and mm -hmm. excited. I did queue up for the last book and I did queue up at Borders back when we still had Borders. Aww. And you make friends in lines like that. Yeah. Oh, every time I've lined up for something, you make, like, best friends. Like, we lined up once to go back to Emo for a Panic at the Disco MySpace show. Remember MySpace? Yeah. And we were, like, best mates with the people behind us. We're, mm. like, photos with this person. I don't remember her name. I don't remember anything about her. But, but I have these picture. photos of her. <laughs> I love that. I love how you do become friends in, in, in queues. And because it is, like, a club where they see people over and over again. I love that, too you know who else is in the fandom even if you don't know who else is in the fandom mm. and you recognize people like definitely because i went to so many gigs you see the same people at the same shows you recognize people you start to like see each other and mm. know each other just through sheer proximity but fame i thought was quite a hard theme for this yeah section. it wasn't obvious I originally thought that Kath got recognised when they were waiting in line, but obviously that actually happened earlier in the library. So somehow in my brain I had transposed this onto this section. So I was waiting for that. I think we can still talk about that because I think there's an interesting juxtaposition between Kath being a big name fan mm. and that makes her famous in her own right. Like the last few chapters, she talked about how her hits were through the roof and she couldn't handle the comments. Mm. So Ren was doing them for her. Like she's basically got her sister on staff to handle comments for her while she's writing like that's pretty famous yeah like a lot of people are taking in her content there was the and the girl at the library said i think she might be my favorite author and she hasn't even written a book yet mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible I, like i think it's worth talking about even if it didn't happen in this section i wonder if kath became an author because we know she's writing now and she's writing her own piece mm. and she does win a prize for her piece as we find out at the end of this yeah so that's a little bit of fame and like if she becomes an actual author do you think she'll be honest about the fact that she's magic cat I don't know. I kind of wonder. I mean, I know that there are a lot of authors now who've written fan fiction mm. and pull it at some point when they get published. Well, I mean, Cassie Clare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the big one. But more than just that, I think Holly Black also wrote some fan fiction too. Yeah, Naomi Novik, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the founding members of Archive of Our Own. And I think there are loads of authors who do have fanfic accounts who just write. Just don't cop to it. But if you have a fan base as big as Kath, that's like an obvious marketing strategy to be like, hey, guys, I'm publishing an actual novel. Inbuilt readership. I think if she does, then she would probably find that she had people who would be willing to read what she was writing. I don't know. I don't know for myself. I can't take myself out of that equation. I don't know if I'd be okay with that for myself. And I don't know if Kath would be because she's way more anxious than me. So I don't know. I feel like she's going to have to be pushed into it. Like it's still outside of her comfort zone. The idea of writing stuff that's not Simon Snow. I think it's interesting that the book ends without us knowing if she's actually finished Carry On. Of course she does. She has to. But she hasn't finished yet, right? No, she did stop. She stopped because she and Levi had a fight and she was being an idiot and she realized she was being an idiot. And I love them both for having that argument. <laughs> but I also think it's nice and ambiguous. Like, it is nice that you don't know. It's nice that we go from this fight to them waiting in the 
in the queue to get the books. Can we talk about this? Because I, I was thinking about yep. this. They had to go to Omaha, right? Like, yeah. they wouldn't recognize people in Lincoln. Regan and Levi also went to Omaha with Kath and Ren to stand in this line and get these books. And Regan is being so snarky and Ren is being so snarky and Levi is so excited and I just love it. I love it. I love it too because it really speaks to the theme of identity I think like because we know fandom is a big Mm. identity marker for both Kath and Ren but also how who the people that care about them are also into it. So Regan and Levi care about Kath and therefore they care about this thing and I think that is just the ultimate kindness you can do when people are into things that you like because they like you. It's just so lovely. I think that Regan being a secret Simon Snow fan is one of my favorite things. Like, she doesn't want to admit it because she thinks it's weird to like stuff. But I really do love that she knows the spells and like has read all the books and is there getting a book of her own. It's a global phenomenon. And it's still like, (laughs) are they crying? Oh, they're crying. (laughs) Like, she's still Regan. But she likes stuff too. I love that line. Ren's like, stop bouncing. You're making us look like nerds. And Regan's (laughs) like, right, that's what's making us look like nerds. I love that she's also like, oh, spare me the pageantry. That's so me. That's me every time I'm at these things. I'm like, ugh, you're not even wearing the right hat. And now you're like doing this whole thing. Like, just don't. Um, My colleagues know that I get real annoyed by these things. There's a news website here called Stuff and they have a daily quiz. One in the morning, one in the afternoon. So you just do it online. And often we'll send each other our scores at work. And whenever there's a Harry Potter question in the Stuff quiz, they will take a screenshot and send it to me because it's always dumb things. Like, what is a Nimbus 2000? And I'll always reply with like, don't waste my time with these questions. Like, if you're going to put it in the quiz, make it difficult. Mm. So every time they get that reaction out of me and they love it. So, of course, I play it up. <laughs> that's the way And that's just be. the vibe I get from Regan. And I'm here for it. Yeah, she likes being the snarky, sarcastic one. I love that whole scene in the, in the queue, though. I love that they're queuing up. And I love that Ren is, like, just as tense and excited. And then she cries. Oh, so good. I'm glad that they managed to heal their relationship in time for this. Like, yeah. I'm glad that Ren got over whatever it was she was getting through. Because otherwise she would have missed this and she would have regretted it forever. Yeah, she would have. Because as Kath said earlier in the book, if they found that magic portal, Ren would have gone through with her. And I love that Kath is so sad because it's over and Ren's like, it's never over, it's Simon. And I think that's so true because Kath can keep writing fan fiction forever about Simon. It doesn't have to end. And I think it's important for her to hold on to that. I think so too. But I also want her to write more of her own things. Mm. I'm cautiously optimistic. I think she will, but I don't know for sure. Well, she's got another, what, two years of college? Three years, She'll write stuff. Most universities are four years. Ours here are weird, I think. Yeah, we do three. Yeah, fourth year's honors if you do honors. The other thing I thought about fame was just this idea of like, obviously Gemma T. Leslie is famous as the author of this book and the books themselves are famous. Mm. And that's why you have this midnight premiere. Like, you know, you can be famous without having a fandom, but often fame results in a fandom. And I think that's quite interesting. If you're a world leader, for example, you're famous, but you don't necessarily have a fandom. Yeah. I mean, I hope Mm. not. Some do, but that's not usually not the ones you want. It's more dictatory. (laughs) Yeah. Charismatic leader rather than an effective leader. Um, Yeah. I think the only thing I have to add to the fame discussion is that Kath wrote her story, her final story, and as she was writing it, she's like, only one other person is ever going to read this. And then it was selected for a prize mm. and published, which mm. I think might lead her to a bit more recognition, not fame per se, but recognition. So I just kind of wanted to ponder that as like a potential pathway toward becoming somebody who writes original fiction or writes, I don't know, personal fiction for an mm. audience outside of her Simon Snow fan groups. 
I like that she had to tell herself that in order to write at all. Like she couldn't mm. write it until she was like, it doesn't matter. There's, no one else is going to read it. It's just for one person. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be finished. And I think that is such a leap for Kat. And I'm so proud of her for getting yeah. there where she's like, I just need to do this. And I think, you know, Levi pushed her to that, which is great. You know, yeah. he showed her what an opportunity she had. And that's really valuable. I love Levi. He's great. Oh, he's just wholesome. Like when he makes a little sign for his apron that says, don't tell me about Simon Snow. <laughs> it's so adorable. Best. Um, The only other fame reference mm. that I had was Simon Snow is famous within the world of mages. Oh, yeah. So that's where we've got another fame example. Because everyone knows who he is. He's supposed to be the savior of the world. The worst chosen one who'd ever been chosen. Yeah. Much to Baz's horror. I love that in the reading of the book, they were actually like becoming friends and like looking into each other's eyes. And if I was like, "Uh oh," and Kath was like, "I can't believe it's really happening." Like, <laughs> I just feel like he knows his eyes better than anyone's. <laughs> it was such a like, "Oh yes, yes, we've all been baited like this before, haven't we?" I love a bit of baiting. I'm just gonna say it. All of the Half Blood Prince is just those two being obsessed with each other. I mean, they are obsessed with each they other. They absolutely are. It's not healthy. Oh, it's too funny. Yeah. It is funny. It's great. I'm here for it. So I think another part of like identity, obviously mm. Kat's identity as a writer and how that's moving. So we see her doing this personal piece of writing. So yeah. we kind of see a shift of her being a fandom writer to being like, okay, maybe I can just be a writer and it doesn't have to be specific. And I thought it was so interesting that, you know, she really bleeds for this piece of writing. Yeah. From page 451, you know, she says, every word felt heavy and hurt like Kath was chipping them one by one out of her stomach. And she's like crying while writing this piece. Yeah, it's well, it's about when her mom leaves her family and the decision that she makes as a child to not leave Ren behind. Like, if, mm. if you leave, I'm going with you. That's what she says to her sister. I actually really loved that she was chipping them out of her stomach because that's where all of her anxiety is. Like, she would, in mm. the beginning of the book, it was like she's just got to fold it up into a knot and shove it way down her stomach so she could work around it. So she's literally unfolding all of these years of anxiety to let it out and of course it's gonna hurt it always hurts coming back out anybody who's ever been sick will tell you that it hurts coming back up but i love that she's doing it because it's hard work but it's important work i also just like to point out we're recording this on september 11th which is of course the day that they had the big fight yeah yeah yes oh wow that's an interesting bit of symmetry also shout out to my brother-in-law it's his birthday hey shout out to my friend emily it's also her birthday Yay! happy birthday our friends Sorry it's in lockdown. And sorry it's on a tragic date. I know, it always overshadows. Yeah. Also to all the millennials listening, welcome to the day that everything went horribly wrong and it's basically been downhill ever since. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. Woo. Before this day, you used to be able to get on a plane without getting undressed. <laughs> um, I wanted to come back to two parallels that we've mentioned previously. Mm. So the first one is, I spoke about, before about the humdrum kind of being a parallel for the hurt in a children of Kat and Ren yeah. and how there's this kind of symmetry between what they went through and how the humdrum consumes. Yeah. And I think in this section, we see Simon facing the humdrum and like being like, I'm not hungry anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to pour anything into you anymore. And I think, you know, we had Kat and Ren face their trauma as well. So you've got this nice conclusion. It is really beautiful. And I think Kath finally getting through it. That's her version of the humdrum, right? Is just letting go mm. of this thing that happened to her. Not just letting it have happened 
happened not just feeling like it's broken her in some fundamental way but like letting go of it turning it into a narrative that you can work around that's much more healthy than swallowing it down forever really proud of her me too and also just having that conversation with Ren about their mother and being like okay well you do you that's fine it's like such a mature thing to have done acknowledging that we don't have to respond to things in the same way so that's great yeah and I think Ren expected Kath to come with her on that but didn't want her in other areas didn't want her to be the unit that they'd always been once they'd gotten to Mm. college like Kath was like right we're not a unit anymore fine whatever like I'm not coming with you on this. Ren had to come to that understanding too that she couldn't just make Kath do things the way she wanted them to be done. Like they had to be respectful of each other. Yeah. And I think that brings me to my next thing. Like you in our first episode made this call that Baz is Kath and Simon is Ren. Mm. And the way that Baz kind of calls this truce with Simon in this final book reminds me of Kath like parking her issues with Ren being yeah. like we've got bigger fish to fry we're not gonna fight about this anymore yeah. right like that's just them you're just in on. with me yeah and it's like you know Baz says I don't want a world without magic there's something bigger than us like like I love that and that's basically yeah that's a great parallel good picking up on that that's basically what Kath said to Ren right like you could have died and I never want you to have drifted that far from me yeah gosh I can't imagine being a twin now like that that would be terrifying to be so worried that the other half of you would like die someday it's awful I don't like thinking about twins dying because it just reminds me of oh the Weasleys why did I bring that up (laughs) I'm sorry forgive me um well do you have a character that you want to spotlight before we move on to the book oh should we do in-depth marginalia or should we do oh yeah good point let's do our in-depth marginalia let's do that okay so my bet is on page 452 and it's basically, they've gone to the midnight premiere, they're all standing around, and then Ren runs up to Kath, pushes the book into her chest, gives her a big hug, and Kath says, you know, Kath wrote, freed an arm to wrap around her sister. I can't believe it's really over, she whispered. So I chose this because, as I said before, I actually got really emotional in this section because it reminded me of going for my last Harry Potter book and getting there at 6am when they'd opened the mall especially for it, queuing up to get up my pre-sale and then rushing home to read my book and just the sense that this thing that has taken up so much of your life like you know Harry Potter came out in 97 so it's been a massive part of my life it's a thing that you waited for year after year you've grown up with these characters and you know I was already in uni when the last book came out and I'd taken the day off work so I could read it my dad made me a little schedule being like if you read so many pages an hour this is the time you'd finish it because he thought it was hilarious that I was lying on the couch just (laughs) reading this book I kind of love your dad for doing that I know it's funny hey I still have it somewhere I'll see if I can find it you should stick Um, that in your copy of the book because that's where it belongs yeah But, you know, just this culmination of years of investment into something, something that has mattered so much to you, the friendships that you've made off it. And then it's over and you can't quite believe it. And I've noticed a little bit of this because obviously read Anyway, the Wind Blows this year. Yeah. And like a lot of kids are really struggling with the fact that this is over. Like, obviously, it's not as big as Harry Potter. It's not seven books. It's not as big a deal. Sure. But for them, it is like it's it's a coming of age thing for them. And for them to for it to be over is like really traumatic and watching them go through it. I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember feeling that. And it's just this really sweet and sad because we move on with things. Nothing can last forever. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't last forever. No, you can't. I don't think being stuck in one thing is ever healthy. But I, it's okay to love what we love. I go through yeah. and read a lot of the same books year after year because I love them. Yeah. I've never been a big rereader until we started doing this. And now I've been rereading a lot of books. And I'm like, this is great. Comfort books. 
yeah, if you know you love it, then it's like, I don't know, meeting an old friend or going home or, I don't know, there's something so much better about it. And I learned, like, the more I read, the more I learn. So, like, if I really mm. love a book, I just read it fast, but, like, a lot, many times. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I keep rereading Harry Potter a lot. Like, it's my bath book normally. I'll just read one of them when I'm having a bath. And obviously, yeah, it's just an ongoing thing because as Ren says, it's never over. And I think how I want to use this going forward is just like really relishing the moment, like living in the moment when something is there. Don't think ahead about, oh, this is going to be over. Don't think, oh, what is this going to be like? Just experience it for what it is and just love it for what it is and then deal with things as they come up rather than always projecting ahead. Beautiful. Yeah. What was your marginalia? I chose a bit of Gemma T. Leslie's Simon Snow. Um, on page 459 where it happens is when Baz is offering to help in the final book and Kath is reading this out loud to Levi and they're like oh they can't they can't believe this is happening and the line that really stuck out to me was Simon made his mind made up his mind quickly the only way he ever did Hmm. and I just really liked that because I thought that was in direct contrast to Kath who thought about everything or avoided thinking about everything and I really loved that sometimes you do have a really awful relationship with someone or like they've just been a jerk to you but then you catch them in a vulnerable moment and you're like oh holy heck you're a person and it shifts Mm. your entire perspective and you just decide like you know what no I'm gonna I'm gonna give them this opportunity I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt yes we have this history but we're both idiots or we're both jerks so like yeah I'm just gonna take your hand and shake it it kind of called back to all of the times that I'd been frustrated with people and then kind of realized that they had their own things going on or that I was being unfair or you know that I just needed to eat or whatever (laughs) so I don't know if I have anything really profound to say but I do think that like rather than making your mind up quickly it's okay if you do that but then you have to be okay with changing it I think that's really wise it's that whole thing about you know everyone's fighting a battle that you don't understand right so you can judge someone real quick and make a decision about how you can treat them based on their behavior but if you find out new information then it's okay to reassess absolutely I just love that line so much it stuck out to me I love the impulsivity of Simon Snow in all of the texts in Gemma T. Leslie in cats (laughs) in rainbows like I love all of I love all of the Simon Snows and now that we're done with fangirl I can actually read the whole trilogy in order I'm also waiting for you to read it so I can talk to you (laughs) thank you for being so good and not spoiling me I'm really, really interested in your opinion, so I cannot wait for you to read it, Yay. because I obviously have a lot of opinions. I am very excited to read it. Well, do you have a character you want to spotlight? I do. I'm going to spotlight Levi, because I think he is adorable. Yes. I love that he's so excited about going to this midnight premiere. I love that he like leaves Kath in his bed to go to work so she can write, and he just assumes she's going to write fan fiction, and she's like, he says, give Simon and Bears my love. I love that. I love that he makes a sign for his apron so he doesn't get spoiled about Simon Snow. I just love everything about how into this he is and how into Kathy is and just how wholesome he is. And I just, you know, more people need to be that earnest, quite frankly. I think we could all benefit from it. So, yeah, shout out to Levi. He's absolutely so sweet. Um, Who did you want to spotlight? Um, I'm going to spotlight Kath. Yay. I have been so upset and so anxious that, like, talking about things that are really, really, really deep, like, it really does hurt to do that. And I still don't mm. like bringing stuff up. Like, sometimes if I know I've got, like, a hard therapy appointment coming up, I'm just like, maybe I'll just 
do a big project so I'll be so distracted like I I also don't want to do the thing when it is hard so I'm really Mm -hmm. proud of Catherine doing the thing when it's hard and I love that it was kind of because Professor Piper loved her so much and like nurtured her and encouraged her and also a little bit like blue fairied her into doing it that she did it and she also (laughs) wrote about her mom which is what she said she was going to write about like I, I love that she ended up committing to that even though she had no idea what she was actually going to do until she sat down and started writing. So yeah, kudos to Kath and everybody out there who's struggling with these things. Like, it is not easy to be a human being. It really isn't. And now more than ever, yeah. quite frankly. Everything is hard. Thanks for spotlighting her. She deserves it. She's done some amazing work. Well, that's the end of Fangirl. Believe it. I know. Um, How do you feel about the major theme? So our major theme was obviously identity for the whole text um do you think that was a good fit yeah i really love it and i love that so much about identity is really malleable like it Mm. it changes it's not static it's a like my identity has changed so much from leaving the u.s and moving to australia like just thinking about that that's a major shift in my life my identity as a person changed when i decided i wanted to become a parent like not even the act of becoming Mm. a parent but like the years that i spent the two years before when i spent thinking about it and deciding what kind of parent I wanted to be that was just as formative as like actually having a baby which by the Mm -hmm. way if you can you guys anybody who wants to have kids or is thinking about it you should really do that work because you're going to be too tired to do it when you already have a kid so like think about it beforehand if you can (laughs) you might get caught by surprise and that's fine but like you have the nine months or whatever (laughs) to do the work (laughs) you need to do the work before good advice yeah um So I think that identity is something that is really, like, it's not a static thing. It doesn't stay the same. People do change. And I think we got this wonderful opportunity to sort of sit in with a character who changed a lot in a year, but was still who they were in the end. Mm. Like, a little prickly, a little obnoxious in some ways. Not very vulnerable, but accepted more people into her family circle and was able to kind of move forward in some ways that just weren't possible before. I find it really interesting to see that struggle to find yourself. And we see all the characters sort of go through this a little bit. You know, even Levi, who's so self-possessed, has that moment of vulnerability because we're always trying to find our place in the world and how we fit amongst other people. And when you have new people into your life, when you start a relationship with someone, then you reassess how you fit together, right? And so... I love seeing that. I love seeing the growth and the accountability and yeah, people just growing together is really great. And I think we saw a lot of that and it's especially at that time of life when you're going away to college, there's so much yeah. change. So yeah, it was good. I thought it was good. Um, There's something I did want to flag that I thought was really, it's just popped up it's sort of in my radar the last couple of weeks and I wanted to talk about it. Um, So something we have talked about is how like when we are vulnerable with each other especially here in this space like it's about stretching but not hurting ourselves mm-hmm. and there's a phrase I like to use which is speaking from the scars not from the wounds and this is something I've had to learn because having ADHD means I overshare but there's actually like a proper framework for this which is that most people have a danger zone and a comfort zone and oh yeah a lot of people who've experienced trauma anything that's not their comfort zone will be perceived as their danger zone even though there's actually this little margin in between the two called the challenge zone and And the more you're able to sort of move things through the challenge zone into the comfort zone, like that's the growth that you're looking for. And and I was thinking that this book, this text, Fangirl, is a really good example of how Kath has sort of moved like spending time with people who aren't her family into the challenge zone, into the comfort zone. So like being alone Mm. with Levi made her want to climb out of her skin in the first couple of chapters. But then by the end of the book, she's like sleeping in his bed and writing all day in his room and so I love that she's actually kind of growing and expanding her own her own limits there and that's part of identity is figuring out 
what your zones are and where you can stretch them and where you can grow. Yeah, and I think she's been really good at that consistently, like going down to the hall to have breakfast with Regan, mm. right? Like that was a challenge. Going to see Professor Piper, she really had to build up to that. She had to go a couple of times yeah. and work up to it. So that was a challenge. And I love that whole challenge zone idea because it's not being like, oh, I'm an introvert and I don't like going outside. So it's not going, oh, I'm going to go to a massive party. It's like, I'm going to go meet a friend for coffee. That is exactly. your challenge. You're not going to yeah. be extreme. You're not setting yourself up to fail. And then once you've done that a couple of times, you're like, oh, okay, I'm comfortable with that. So the next exactly. step is having friends over for dinner or whatever it is. Like, I really yeah. love and baby steps. Yeah, yeah. It's how to approach it. I, I'll put some links in the... um in the show notes too because I think it's actually really important because we're in that sort of pandemics going on for a couple of years and we don't really know what's safe I think a lot of people are going to find going outside and doing stuff in a post-pandemic society is going to be really stressful so like I said doing the work ahead of time is really good so getting that mentality of like what can I do that will be safe what can I do that will take me out of this like oh I've been in lockdown like do I actually want to see five people at once you know our mm. lives have changed, so it'll be good to take a little bit of time to think about it. So I'll put that in the show notes for everyone else. But I was really pleased that we got to see Kath go through this challenge zone, comfort zone. Um, and she never really was in the danger zone, except maybe a couple times. But yeah, like I think she got through really well. I'm so mm. proud of her. Yeah, and isn't it interesting when Regan was asking her to room again together next year, she says, you know, you're never home. <laughs> it's like having a room to myself. And that's such a juxtaposition to where we were at the start mm. when she'd never left and the room. And had all ever. of her protein bars under her bed so she didn't have to go down to the dining hall. And Well, did you have a favorite marginalia from the whole book? I did. I chose a section on page 276, and it's the bit where Kath has finally gone to see Professor Piper to talk about this grade that she hasn't turned in mm. and she's saying, you know, why she doesn't want to write it and why it's easier for her to write thick than it is to write her own stuff. And she says on page 276, when I'm writing my own stuff, it's like swimming upstream or falling down a cliff and grabbing at branches, trying to invent the branches as I fall. Yes, the professor said, reaching out and grasping the air in front of Kath like she was catching a fly. That's how it's supposed to feel. Kath shook her head. There were tears in her eyes. Well, I hate it. Do you hate it or are you just afraid? I love that line, do you hate it or are you just afraid? Because I feel like that is something that I need to tattoo on my forehead. Because often my knee-jerk reaction is just to go, oh, I hate it. But it's not. It comes from fear. It comes from fear of failure. It comes from fear of not being good enough. Mm. So to always have that in mind when I have a knee-jerk reaction and just to be like, okay, is this a legit thing? Or are you actually just using this as a safety mechanism? Because again be in the challenge zone don't just automatically yeah. throw out everything be honest about why you're responding the way you are and it doesn't mean you have to do it like if you're justifiably afraid of something it doesn't mean you have to always push through the fear yeah but just be aware like don't lie to yourself about why you're reacting the way that you react i get very defensive at that point because i'm like she's allowed to not like it she's allowed to hate it if she wants just leave her alone don't make her cry <laughs> but you know she does need that nudge so i recognize it definitely been times in my life i've had teachers who really called me on my behavior and i'm just like Oh, I hate that you're right. That's the thing. When you're really angry, it's mostly because people are right. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. Like, I've been seen and I don't like it. <laughs> Stop looking at me. Exactly. It's the Roy Kent reaction. Um, Did you have a favorite marginalia from the whole book? I did. So mine was on page 240. And it was when Kath was remembering the other times that her father had had breakdowns and had needed to go to St. Richard's Hospital. And the last time it had happened, they were old enough to stay at home by themselves for a couple of days until their grandmother came down to look after them. So, um, Kath was worried she'd been having panic attacks and she's like, it's going to take me. I'm crazy. I'm just like him. I'm broken. And Ren says, 
If it tries to take you, Ren said, I won't let go. And that always gets me because I feel like Ren wouldn't break that promise, but she also spent almost a whole year pushing Kath away Mm. and not in a way that was like, it's time for us to do other things and see other people, but like, no, I'm dumping you. Like, I don't Mm. want this anymore. So I, I think Kath's really holding on to that promise, but it needed to become less about the two of them in orbit around each other. I kept thinking about that in terms of how like your identity can be so tied up in like a relationship or how you know you don't necessarily know who you are without the other person in your life like in my family growing up like our family unit was so specific that I felt like I was a part of it and that it had to come first and that's a very weird thing and now that I'm a parent like I've done the same with my kids in a way and I'm wondering is that the right thing to do like have I have I made it harder for them by being like we're mm. the nexus we are where it begins you know so I was trying to think about whether or not I can make that come true for my kids because I feel like that to me that unconditional love is definitely the point of parenting or being in a relationship with someone like when you say that and you make the decision together to grow together you are saying if it tries to take you I won't let go I think for myself I'm just going to remember that making that promise and living that promise like it's going to look different as time goes on Mm. and that that's okay that doesn't have to be the specific actual measurable thing it can still be true but also be true in a different way yeah it can grow with you yeah and it doesn't need to be this dramatic split either it can be like you know normal going off and doing life stuff in other directions which i'm sure my kids will try and do at some point even if I feel very sad about it. You have another eight years at least. Yeah. Look, I don't want them to feel like they have to leave to do stuff. I don't want them to feel like they have to go off and become adults before they are actually ready. So it's okay. As long as they figure out how to do their laundry at some point, we're good. (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) Exactly. So did you have any reflections on the text as a whole? You know what really stood out to me that I don't remember the last time I read this, but I feel like so much of this text is actually about the process of mm. writing. And I don't know if that's just because I'm in a really writey frame of mind, so I think about it a lot. But so much about it is, you know, what motivates you to write? How do you write? When do yeah. you write? How do you write characters? How do you incorporate your real life into your writing? All these things. Like, we've got these really good nuggets about writing through either Kath or through Professor Piper. It's just really interesting to see that. Yeah. And it's interesting to see kind of the pitfalls of writing as well, because you've got Nick who's like doing this performative writing. And like Kath's trying to play into that when she's writing with him and this whole like, stay true to your own voice, but what is your voice? And just that whole conversation that goes through the whole book. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're absolutely right that there is definitely a lot about the process of writing in this book i mean it's not really a book about fandom it's about being a transformative writer in fandom creator yeah um yeah so it is just something that popped out to me that i didn't expect or didn't recognize the last time i read it um how about you i think i wanted to point out that i really like the way that rainbow rowell writes like stylistically she writes in a really interesting way she has a lot of m dashes and ellipses and everything seems to breathe like a normal person would breathe like her writing really feels Mm. alive and organic and it doesn't feel like she's putting it on like it's not clever for the sake of being clever which if I notice that in a book it pulls me out of the story this I found myself getting lost in it and having to really like struggle to focus in on what am I supposed to be paying attention to so it's really Mm. readable and I love that I love stories that are really readable she's amazing at writing conversationally Mm. I think she's got dialogue down right she's a very strong dialogue writer Mm. which I love and I wish I had a tenth of that skill I think that would help me a lot all my characters are feelings driven and they never talk Um, The other thing I really like is that because of this particular style of writing, like no one sentence on its own is 
capsule sized. Like everything is the sum yeah. of its parts. So like it's hard to just pluck a sentence out for marginalia. So I kind of love that because you get this mm. text which is actually like greater than the sum of its parts and you need the context for things to be profound, for things to work together. And that's how it should be. It is very intertextual and I'm here for it. Yeah, just the bit I chose as my favorite marginalia. You needed the yeah. whole bulk, I think, to really get the one line. Exactly. Yeah, and I love that. You're right. The intertextuality is great. Like I know you've said in the past that you don't love when there's like poetry in a mm-hmm. book or when there's a song in a book because you like struggle to shift gears, pay yeah. attention to it. But whereas there's a lot of that in this, we've got a lot of yeah meta going in, and I think it was handled so well. Like it very much played into the character's yeah. frame of mind. Yeah, it works. And you can read the Simon Snow bits and there's still other bits around them that make you want to keep reading. And I like the information you get from interstitial stuff too. Like, I don't know why it bothers me to see those like quotes and stuff because I'll read footnotes. I will read (laughs) little sidebar things. I'll look up if there's an index in a Jane Austen book. I'm there. I've got it bookmarked so that I can refer Mm -hmm. to and learn things about it as I go. There's something about like that italicized block of text my eyes just go right past I don't know what it is so I'm glad I pushed myself on this one to really spend the time and pay attention and go back and reread it because otherwise it would have just been like Mm. well do you want to spotlight a character for the whole book I am spotlighting Kath because I think she pushes herself through so many hard things. She came up to so many barriers. Like that moment where she doesn't want to go back to college. She's sitting in the car crying and she still does it. She pushes herself to go see Professor Piper. She has to push herself to finish the story. Even like having this conversation with Nick when he turns up. Like she pushes through so many hard things. And I am so proud of her because that is so hard. And she's learned so much through this year. She has learned to trust Mm -hmm. herself and her instincts and I think it's just it's an incredible amount of work that she's done and she deserves to have it acknowledged like so for everyone who is pushing themselves through hard things you are doing amazing good on you I'm so glad that you spotlight Kath because she really does deserve it she has definitely changed and grown yeah and I'm here for growth I'm here for accountability I love that Levi holds her accountable to her grades basically and she doesn't want to disappoint him and she turns into some work and she wins a prize because of it like can you imagine how he's just sitting there being like I told you so because I would be (laughs) do you have someone to spotlight for us I do so I would like to spotlight Art Avery he is the best fictional dad that we've encountered I think he might be the contender for the best fictional dad full stop he loves his kids he's not a perfect person he's not like a super attentive dad but he trusts them and he also like sets firm boundaries when they need it even as they're meant to be growing up and moving out I love that he cares so much and there was one line that like I almost chose it as my marginalia for the book where he hugs Kath like he needed it because I feel that way when I don't see my kids for a while like I need a cuddle and I need to check on them and I need to make sure that they're okay and I miss them when they're not around even if they drive me up the wall so I completely get it but I also love that he's a creative person who like is really passionate about his work, but still showed up for his kids the best he could when he was left heartbroken and abs- like he was absolutely shattered by his wife leaving. And he still showed up and became like a great dad. So you can do it. If Art Avery can do it, you can do it. I'm so proud of him for being an amazing dad. It's actually great to see a single dad represented so mm. positively, you know, like it's very rare in fiction to actually see that. Yeah, so. he's not cold or remote yeah. or demanding. He's like funny and they have this 
culture it's like a real family life you know like they star his work they leave comments even though he needs support you don't get the sense that they ever had to raise him it's not one of those situations where the kid had to grow up before their time to look after their father so you know that's great it's just a healthy loving situation he's just a parent who really loves his kids and i'm here for that he doesn't do it perfectly but he's he's doing his best and i really see that so yeah art avery and we'll continue to hand out the Art Avery Award for Awesome Parenting. I can't as wait. We go. It's going to be so good. We have a contender in the next book already, so. That's true, actually. So, we're going to be doing a one shot. We're going to be watching Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And what are our themes, Jen? We've chosen the themes of folly and passion. And we're going to laugh. We're going to cry. It's going to change our lives again mm-hmm. because, of course, it will. And, like, folly is the best <laughs> Shakespearean theme we could have picked and i'm really excited i'm just like this is such a it's such a good movie i am really excited i'm very excited i'm excited to talk about shakespeare because i am a bit of a shakespeare fan girl so that'll be good and i'm really excited for our next book after that so it's just all steam full steam ahead we're gonna be reading the raven boys by maggie stiefvater going back to our original inaugural author and I'm excited about this one because it does not take place in an unspecified time. It is a more modern book and it is set in an actual state. Yeah, so. it's very real world, but special. Extra special. And we have amazing characters. I just can't wait for my boy Gansey. I'm here for this. Oh, I can't wait to rant about my BFF, Ronan Lynch, every day for the rest of my life. It's going to be so good. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm so glad that we got to read Fangirl together and fangirl about it for weeks. I know. Weeks. It's been so wholesome and I just love it. I love reliving my fangirl days and mm. yeah, having these conversations with you, always delightful. I know. It's the best part of the week. Hey. Truly is in these trying times. Oh yes, these unprecedented times. Yes. <laughs> oh, these ones, yeah. I think if we were gonna have a lockdown, at least we had it while we were reading Fangirl because it was really such a bright and like good book to be reading. It didn't like drag me down under. It didn't make me feel sad or sick or unhappy. It was just good. Yeah, and it was just nice to have a bit of a break and talk about kind of human problems, human scale, (laughs) relational problems, not saving the world end of days problems. Like going away to school for the first time. That's a very like normal human thing and lives did not begin or end based on it. And I'm very glad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No one died. Yay. Finally. Minutely epic, not majorly. This is the first book we've read where no one's died. We're very morbid thinking about it the next one where no one dies is a while away so yeah oh uh uh-huh yeah sorry people it's fine it's all fine (laughs) we'll be okay (laughs) we just get through it we just want you to feel all the feels well um i guess i'll see you next week to talk about all the deaths in romeo and juliet yeah it's just a little bit (laughs) just a couple here and there not important sprinkling it in you know (laughs) Mm. all right speak to you soon see ya Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.